The scripture reading this morning is Romans 15, 7 through 13, and you can find that on page 924 of your Pew Bible. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Tess. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are in the third week of a seven-week series called Everyday Mission, where we are considering the mission that God has given to us, not in some far-off place, not by just people who are trained to do it, but the mission that God has given each and every one of us right where we are. We talked last week about the place where God has you and how you are called to find your geography, not in your physical geography, but your geography in Christ so that that might influence the place where God has you. Today we're going to talk about the people that God has given to you. Next week we're going to talk about the work that God has given you to do. But before we get to people today, I want to pause briefly and I want to ask an important question. How would you describe your everyday mission? I've been asking this question nonstop this week. I Realize that sometimes when you get into a series like this, you realize how much you still need to learn. And even for, for me, who's been really immersed in something like this, God has me on a process of clarification. So I've been asking this question, how would you define your mission? What would you say to describe your mission? I've been asking that of our council leadership and our staff. And the responses have been inspiring and varied throughout this process. And I, and I came to a fundamental truth as I was taking in all the answers to this question, and that's this. Our individual everyday mission has to be consistent with God's mission in the world. Otherwise, it's a mission that we've created apart from God. Our everyday mission has to be in harmony with God's mission for the world or else it's not God's mission. The Gospel Coalition's Trevin Wax uh, writes eloquently on this topic, saying that if we 
are not careful with our Bible reading and our preaching and our encouragement of one another, we can slip into our everyday mission really being about behavior modification. In other words, if our mission is relegated to just our own behavior, to being better people, then what we will ultimately ultimately produce in that mission is a bunch of nice people. And if that's all that we produce, we have utterly missed the mission of God. God's mission for humanity is something that scholars will speak about in a lot of different ways. But if I were to take a stab at it this morning, here's what I would say. God's mission is to draw near to his people so that they might be saved from death and sin and then to remain near to those people as he redeems all of creation unto himself. So the invitation to humanity in the midst of that mission, to you and me, is to know God's presence, to respond in faith to God's presence, and then to partner with God in this redemptive work. As I've talked about everyday mission over the past couple weeks, I've defined it as a mediating work between the world and the presence of God. So being a nice person, a better person, though that's a good step to take, and maybe some of you need to just become nicer people. Uh, So all of us need a little bit of behavior modification. That is not the same as being on the mission of God. His mission is so much more. So rather than ask that question, what is your mission? That's the question I've been asking all week. I'm going to start asking a different question. I might ask you this question sometime when I see you. How does your life task right now fit into God's mission? I want to hear from you on this because it's shaping and forming the way that we talk about this everyday mission as a church and how we grow into that mission that God has called us into every day. All that said... Let's turn our focus to the people that God has given us. That's our focus today. Last week, we started by saying that your mission cannot be removed from your location. Mission happens on location, not apart from it. So another truth to begin today, God's mission is always for his people. God's mission is always for his people. God's mission should minister well to us, right? Individually, it should transform our lives but it's not limited to just me or you. It is for all people. And we have to deal with people if we're going to be on everyday mission because people are at the heart of God's mission for the world. From the beginning of creation, God has been drawing near to his people and and offering them his presence. Love, grace, forgiveness, salvation. God's heart is always moving towards people. Now, for those of you here this morning who have experienced God's love and have received his saving grace, this ought to increase your capacity of love for other people, especially those who don't know that love of God and that presence of God. And and for any of you here this morning who, who would say, I don't know that love from God, I want you to hear this morning something that's really important, maybe the most important words that you'll ever hear, God loves you. And he draws near to you. His grace is sufficient for you. I was watching a documentary uh, this week on basketball legend Dennis Rodman. Some of you will remember him from his his run with the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. And you'll remember him being kind of a mercurial character. 
crazy hair, uneven behavior, cross-dressing off the court, foul-mouthed, emotionally unstable. It was, a, it was a really great documentary. But what was most fascinating was the interview uh, about the documentary that I saw. He was asked what he hopes people take away from the film, and he just broke down into sobbing tears. And here's what he said. Get a hold of this. He said, and I quote, It wasn't about money or fame or anything. I did all of this because I wanted someone to love me. I didn't have a dad. My mom wasn't attentive to me. I dealt with a lot. I just wanted to be loved by anyone, someone. It was a reminder to me as I'm watching this grown man in tears that every single person that you interact with in a day is someone who has a story that leads them to right where they are standing in front of you. And every single one of them in one way or another wants and needs to know that they are deeply loved. They might not come out and tell you that like Dennis Rodman did, but it's true. So I have to start with a qualifying question this morning. Do you have love in your heart for the people that God has given you? Do you have enough love in your life to show them that love? This is the the first step to being on everyday mission. If you don't have love for others, you need to pray for it this morning. Because God moves towards us in love, and if we're going to be on mission for God, we need to do the same. In our text today, Paul is writing to the Roman church, which has been formed by Jews who had come to know the love of Christ. But as their ministry expanded, they found that they were surrounded by Gentiles, by non-Jews, who were also responding to the love of God. And that caused friction in the Roman church. It's as if you can sort of feel the question bubbling up as you read the entire letter of Romans. But does God's love and grace and salvation and forgiveness and all these good things, does it really really expand to these people? And Paul responds with this book in Romans in brilliant, theologically rich ways, but but he condenses these conflicts and, and, and his thoughts very simply in chapter 15. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised, that's the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, from the very beginning, through the patriarchs, the, the earliest heroes of faith in Scripture, through the law, through the whole gospel, the whole goal of God is to make good on his promise to draw near to people and to save them and to give their lives rich purpose. So these readers are to welcome other people just as Christ has welcomed them. And this serves as a reminder, again, that every single person I meet, whether I'm close to them or they are a complete stranger to me, they are already loved by God. His grace is already sufficient for them, and God sent his son Jesus to save them. I know that God loves me and he has saved me and he desires to do the same for every single person that I meet. So I want you to think this morning about the people that God has placed in your life. Your family and your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, social connections, complete strangers, those who serve you and those whom you serve. A study from Carnegie Mellon 
estimates that most of us interact meaningfully with a few dozen people every day at a minimum, but we share space with hundreds and often thousands of people in a day. And if we expand this out to our digital connection with the world, it's much, much more. And every single one of these people needs to know that they're loved by God because they are. Now, I know for me, when I think about all the potential interactions in a day, that can get a little overwhelming. Anyone want to confess that with me this morning? I don't have the kind of energy, uh, to be honest, for, for every single person that I see. I don't really want the responsibility of being God to every single person that I see. It's too burdensome. That's just too much. But it's really a matter of perspective. If all of those people are, are lines that, that got added to my daily to-do list, then I'm, I'm toast. I'm completely overwhelmed, right? That's way too much. But what if we see every dearly loved person as God's holy opportunity for us to do something amazing? That doesn't overwhelm me. That sparks curiosity in me. It makes me wonder what God might be up to. And I'm humbled to think that God would think me worthy to be a part of that. So when we actually look at the life of Jesus, I think we actually see this model. I think we see a model for how to care deeply and and, and a deep commitment for the people around us while having a holy curiosity and, and not becoming completely overwhelmed. When we look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that Jesus interacts with many people, but it's not uniform. There are over 40 explicit interactions that Jesus had with an individual person. Some happen in homes, some happen while he's traveling on the road, in places of work, or oftentimes around a meal. And I've been able to create a few categories to to think about the people that Jesus interacted with, and I think it's going to be helpful for us. The first category is this. Jesus had a chosen group of people that he did life with. Jesus' three years of ministry were spent with a core group of people. Uh, These were his disciples. We know that there was a group of women who traveled with them as companions, but also to to serve and care for the disciples. And then we know of several good friends along the way, like Mary and Martha and Lazarus that Jesus had. This was Jesus' sort of chosen group of people. For most of us here, we know what that sort of looks like for us. It's our family, right? The people that often we're we're under roof with on a daily basis. Um, Our children, our parents. Uh, Maybe if you have a roommate, your roommate, or some of your closest friends. These are the people that you really do life with. And when Jesus interacts with these people, we see a certain level of warmth and comfort. Uh, This is a group where I think Jesus was known and, and cared for in a place where he could be a little more comfortable. But note here that Jesus is still intentionally extending the love of God to those who are closest to him each and every day. He doesn't take a day off from this. He taught them. He encouraged them. He spoke truth to them. He blessed them. I don't want you to lose sight of this. Your family, your children, your friends, your spouse, the the people that you do life with every day, you have an opportunity each and every day to bless them and to show them the love of God. So that's the first group. The second group is is the group of people that Jesus interacted with Uh, as part of his regular life, just regular daily life. As Jesus does ministry, he's often traveling from one place to another, and we see him take advantage of opportunities to interact with people. 
Oftentimes, these are people who initiate contact with Jesus. They come up to him in need of healing, or, or they want to learn from him, or even those who want to question him. We also see at least a dozen occasions where Jesus initiates a conversation with someone in everyday life. Perhaps the most memorable is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. While he's sitting by a well at noontime, it's warm, a woman comes to draw water, she's just minding her own business, and he initiates the conversation. Would you give me a drink? Would you give me a drink? And that invitation turns into a conversation that will change this woman's life forever. So whether he initiates the interaction or someone else does, each of these conversations are are a combination of both, both grace and truth. Jesus faithfully points each person to the character of God and gives them time and attention. This does not mean, however, that Jesus heals every single sick person that was there or answers every single question that someone has of him. But Jesus sees these people in everyday life and he extends God's presence to them. The third group of people that we see for Jesus is what I'm going to call divine interruptions. Think of this as, as something beyond the normal interactions of daily life, like, like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, who, who ran through the crowd just to, to clasp at Jesus' cloak, desperately in need of healing. Or maybe the, the paralytic man that while Jesus was teaching in the house, he starts to see the roof coming in and, and, and friends who are lowering this paralytic man into the middle of the house. That is not something we see in everyday life, right? And Jesus heals this man. Now, I'm someone who enjoys my space. I enjoy my quiet. I can tend to enjoy boundaries. But there are times when something is such a divine appointment, a distraction from God, that I just go, I I need to respond. This could be the the person who asks you for money when you walk out of the train station, or or the waitress who seems to be on the verge of tears, or... um, Often for me, it's, it's someone that God seems to be continually placing in front of me to the point where I say, okay, God, I, I got the message. I need to interact with this person. Sometimes for me, this is a person that I haven't seen in a while and I run into them in a totally random place, right? Or, or friends from long ago that show up in a strange dream or a daydream that I'm having and I wonder why. Or, or maybe the person that I sense that God continues to just place in front of me for some reason. Jesus was not too busy to be interrupted by these people, and we shouldn't be either. So when I'm able to see the the people in my life in these three categories, it helps me to not get too overwhelmed. It reminds me that it's not my job to save anybody. That's God's job through Jesus Christ. My job is to take the people that God has given me and to share with them the presence of the God that I love passing on to them what I've already received, love and grace and truth and forgiveness. And if I think about every single person I could possibly see in a day, that that becomes too heavy of a burden. But if I think of my family and friends, and and I'm aware of the people who are naturally there in everyday life, and, and I'm open to the divine interruptions that God may give to me, I feel like that's a mission that I can at least try to be obedient to. And so can you, but you can't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to help me see my wife and children as the gift that they are each day. 
I need the Holy Spirit to open up my eyes and to spark curiosity in me so that I can see the people that God puts in my path each day, my coworkers, the the mailman, the garbage man, the, the parents in the pickup line or the neighbors that are out for a walk or the clerk in the store. I need the Spirit to guide me in these, in these interactions. And I also need the Holy Spirit to interrupt me with these divine interruptions, these divine appointments. I need to find myself in the line at the DMV with someone I haven't seen in six months, right? Where I'm trapped. I have to talk with them. I need the Spirit to place people into my dreams and in my daydreams so that I can reach out to them. I can do all of this, but not without the help of the Spirit. That same Spirit that guided Jesus' words and actions as he walked on this earth. When we cooperate with whatever the Holy Spirit may be doing in people's lives and, 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 and are aware of that, we are going to be led into some incredible conversations that could literally change people's lives. And when the Spirit leads the way, we can simply follow the Spirit and leave the results of those conversations up to God. As I asked that question this week to so many, what is your mission? One person responded in a way that really challenged me. She said, you know, I've got so many people in my life and I've got so many things going on that I feel like my mission first is to make sure that I'm right with God and hope that there's enough left over to to give to other people. And I was reminded that 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 humble answer is, is so true because we cannot give to someone else what we do not have. Do you know that you're loved by God? Are you remaining in his love on a daily basis? Knowing that we are loved and, and living in that love is where we have to start. And when we do, just like the woman at the well, we receive a living water that never runs dry and, and, and it spills over to all the people that God has given to us. Our, our everyday mission is aligning ourselves so clearly with God and his mission that we are filled to overflowing so that we might bless those around us, a hungry world around us, a world that needs to know that they're loved. One last story to close. Uh, when Katie and I traveled to China um, five years ago, a few days after we had met our newly adopted daughter, Lydia, uh, something changed in her. After eating everything that we had served to her for several days, she went on a hunger strike. <laughs> she would have maybe a little bit of milk in the morning, um, and, and if memory serves, like a half a banana in the morning, and that was it for the day. And this was new to us, not something that we had experienced with our, with our boys. And she transformed from, from bubbly and boisterous to forlorn and lethargic. She would lay on the hotel bed with silent crocodile tears in her eyes. And it was clear that there were complex emotions going on. Uh, she wasn't even two years old, but there were complex emotions going on, confusion, grief, I think some really complex grief, insecurity. And we didn't know how to address these emotions. emotions. We just didn't feel equipped at all for that. And it started to just, it started as sort of this sad thing. Oh, our daughter's sad. But then by day three, we were starting to get really concerned. And Katie called her dad, who's a doctor, and explained the situation. And I remember her asking, 
I mean, geez, Dad, should we contact the nannies at the orphanage to figure out exactly what food she ate so that we can go get it and we can, and then maybe she'll eat it. And, and there was kind of this frantic, um, what do we do? And my father-in-law's response was super memorable. He was on speakerphone and he said this, Katie, no child has ever starved who has regularly been offered food. No child who has been regularly offered food has ever starved. It may take a while, but keep offering whatever food you are eating, and she will eventually eat, and she will be fine. A day later, she finally ate. She returned to her joyful self. And as I contemplate the the spiritual and emotional hunger of those around me, those around us, the people that God has given to us, I can't help but think that the same logic applies here. Keep offering what you first received from God. Love and grace and peace and forgiveness. Keep offering it again and again, humbly, simply, rhythmically, faithfully. Stay curious about how the Spirit is going to work. Lean on Jesus. Offer what you have to offer. And do it every day, knowing that God is going to honor and bless that faithfulness. He will fill you to overflowing, and he will give you the opportunity to spiritually nourish the people around you, many of whom are starving to know that they are loved by God. And this is, by the way, precisely how Paul closes our text in Romans today with a blessing. Look at these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound, another word for that, overflow, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I join in that blessing this morning. May each of you encounter the hope of Jesus in such a profound way that you are filled with everything good from God, joy and peace and forgiveness and salvation. And may you overflow that hope to each person God has given you that needs to know that they are loved, that needs to know the God of hope. May it be so. Let's pray.